Welcome to the Andy Staples Show presented by Sling. And we have a Dear Andy and Ari episode. We haven't done one of these in a while. We got a, we got a Dear Andy question, a Dear Ari question, and a five-star review question coming up. They are great as usual, but uh, we, have some, we have some pressing podcast business to take care of first because we don't know what game we're going to wind up betting on here, but we have been presented with a few different options and... I got to tell you, they're fascinating. Uh, this is one that has been sent to us repeatedly since it came out on Wednesday. Uh, apparently, a Fox Business correspondent claimed to have spent $28 on lunch at Taco Bell. I I find this very difficult to believe, but here's here's him saying it. I mean, admittedly, you want to know how bad inflation is? Yesterday, yes, I had a nice lunch at Taco Bell. Cost me about $28 at Taco Bell for lunch. People need to pay for those things, and they do that by getting jobs and getting in the economy and getting active and getting involved. Wait a minute. You spent $28 at yeah. Taco Bell for just yourself? <laughs> for lunch, yeah. It's, really? it's true. Okay. That's, that's a lot of chalupas. That that's is. an inflation story. That is. He's a th- You're both thin, fit guy. I can't see it. Me, that, that's just like the opening appetizer, but whatever. Neil Cavuto jumping in with, you didn't spend $28 on yourself at Taco Bell. But I'm going through the menu now, Ari, and I am, uh, it, it, it might not be easy. Like, I'd have to eat 14 soft tacos, uh, you know, a bunch of tacos and a, a couple quesaritos. The quesaritos are $4.59. Uh, the steak burrito, I was told, if we do this as a bet, is off limits because it's too expensive. The double steak grilled cheese burrito is $7.29. So you could do three of those and some other things, and I think you get to $28 pretty easily. I do not believe this person that they spent $28 at Taco Bell. If they got it delivered, it would I would believe it. But then that's your own fault for getting Taco Bell delivered. Like, Well, maybe he that, got those you, three you steak tacos. You know? The most expensive thing on the menu there. You know what I the, my favorite thing about Taco Bell is? What's and I think that? I said this to you on the road trip in the car. They have managed to have a forward-thinking, uh, diverse menu that changes constantly over the course of the 30 years I've been on this planet. <laughs> and it's made out of four ingredients. It's the same thing in every in just different forms. It's it's a, a cheese, a lettuce, a meat, and a tortilla. Like I mean, how many things can you possibly get? Now, I haven't eaten there in a long time because I generally find it's not very good. And like I cannot fathom for the life of me if you're going to put that garbage in your body why you would choose to eat Taco Bell over McDonald's or a burger place with french fries. Um but like $28, I feel like you could do it no problem. I've seen you eat if you ordered strategically, I think you would be able to do it easily, especially if like you're allowed to order drinks too. I, I yes, because the soft drink is is where they get you at the fast food places now because you're paying like three bucks, yeah, maybe like, three fifty for a soft. It's probably drink, like so. six cents for them to make that. So yeah, exactly. Uh, but do you think you could do it? All right. So Doyce Seven in the chat says, "Just created an order with this to get that amount: two crunch wraps, two chicken quesadillas, and a two chalupa combo with a large drink." That's a lot of food. But what comes with a combo there? Just those cinnamon twist things? The cinnamon twist things, yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, I don't you think can put down a ton. They don't take any oh, room up in your oh, stomach. Oh, yeah. So I, I will tell you, this is kind of hard, kind of impinging on a radio segment that I made up with Barrett Salee that we do on SiriusXM when we do the Sunday show together on Sunday mornings on uh, Channel 84, ESPN Radio. Uh, no, no plug there. But we, we did this when the 
the FBI investigation into the basketball stuff came out and <laughs> they found the ledger from the the agent runner and he put down a dinner with Wendell Carter's parents. Wendell Carter was a, a player who went to Duke and he had a dinner with them, I believe when he was still a recruit, at a Longhorn Steakhouse in Smyrna, Georgia. And he, he, the receipt was like 130 bucks. And, and the parents were interviewed and they're like, yeah, we went and we just had some water and we left. And so I'm like, how do you spend $130 at Longhorn Steakhouse? So we created a segment called Eat Your Feelings where whoever had the worst week in college sports has to spend $100 at some like college dive restaurant. And it always ends up being you order like 50 pounds of food. So that's but really now, what this is in real life. With actual inflation, though, now with three people at Longhorn Steakhouse, 130 would be very easy, right? But only one person ate, according to two of the people. Yeah, that's, okay. So <laughs> I just had a few waters, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I bet, like there are places where you could, you know, I mean, like an Applebee's steak is probably like 20 bucks, right? Right. So well, you could probably get there. I want to put this to the listeners. Because I, 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 this is a listener-driven show. This is, this is your show, not our show. I want you to decide the next bet Ari and I make. Will the stakes be the $28 of Taco Bell or will they be the Babe Ruth diet? The Babe Ruth diet was sent to us on Tuesday. And oh my God, he died at 53. It was of cancer. This, did not, this was not what got him. Shockingly, this did not get him. This is what he had every day. Breakfast was a pint of whiskey mixed with ginger ale, then steak, four eggs, fried potatoes, and a pot of coffee. For afternoon snack, it was four hot dogs, each washed down with a bottle of Coca-Cola. He had an early supper and a late supper. Two dinners, each the same. Two porterhouse steaks, two heads of lettuce drenched with blue cheese dressing, two platefuls of cottage fried potatoes, and then two apple pies. Oh, and between the two suppers, he had four more hot dogs and four more bottles of Coke. Now... There's a little eat, shoots, and leaves going on here. When they talk about the two porterhouses, two lettuce, you know, head of iceberg lettuce salads, and two platefuls of cottage fried potatoes, are we talking about each dinner was one of those or each dinner was two of those? Because that, that changes things a bit. I don't know how a human being can adjust that much in one day. I could eat that much. Well, then you should be the one that does it. I don't think I could do it. Well, no, I, I mean, I just want to. And I think my wife before, would leave me if I tried. Before the show, yeah. Ari's like, that's a gallon of whiskey. I'm like, no, it's a pint. So, Ari, yeah. Yeah, I don't what know is the, the difference di- between a pint and a gallon? A pint is a glass that you can get at a bar that they put beer in. Right. How many and ounces is in a pint? I, we're not doing this. Come on! <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all I know is I, I can measure my uh, my fluid levels based on a gallon is a jug of milk. Uh huh. And a pint is a big beer glass. How many quarts in a gallon? That's an easy one. Three. Seriously? I have How no idea. Quarts. Oh, four. There you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for helping me. Yeah. Yeah. Quarts. So there are there are two pints in a quart. Okay. So two pints in a quart. That means there's eight pints in a gallon. Yes. How many ounces is that? Uh, there's twelve ounces in a pint. <laughs> No, no, there are 16 ounces in a pint. There, oh, 16. Eight, so eight 16. ounces in a cup, 16 in a pint, 32. Well, here's in a the thing like, was that a water down? in a gallon? Yeah, I don't know these things. Like, if I had to take an SAT, this is how the SAT thing became a bit. It's because I don't is. know any of these things. Um, the thing I do know, though, is that if he had a whiskey and ginger ale pint, I want to know, like, how much of the pint was whiskey and how much was ginger oh, ale. Oh, no, it's a, 
I, I, I'm gathering from this, it is a pint of whiskey that is then mixed into ginger ale. So 16 ounces of whiskey. So you're talking about 10 shots of whiskey. I'd be blacked out if I drank that. <laughs> I probably would too. I mean, I, I don't if, know how like how you are. Like, are you a heavyweight when it comes to booze or are you like... N- not straight liquor like that. Now, again, if, if it's mixed into ginger ale and you give me several hours, I can probably take it. But no, there were, I would be on the floor. If if you if you said do this in an hour or do this in two hours, how many no shots way. is that? Ten. It's it's ten shots. It's about ten shots. There's an ounce and a half in a shot. So there's a yeah, little so bit more. Ten, than 10 shots, shots of whiskey to get your day started. I'd, I'd be dead. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I I don't even know. Like there's like certain things of like, you know, who should play? Who should win the bet? Whoever loses the bet has to bench press eight hundred pounds. It's like what are we doing? Like I, <laughs> the, I, I can't. The do The man that. had a vigorous constitution. Ari. That's all yeah. I know. I mean, I did I, the I, most extreme thing that there is, and at least it wasn't. I, like I'm not a very good. As you found out on the road trip. I'm not much of a mass eater. Right. You are so, a, like, a variety when you, eater. When you say, go eat $28 worth of Taco Bell, it's like, that sounds terrible to me because I know I couldn't do it, and I don't think I would enjoy it while I was doing it. At least if I'm going to do an eating challenge, like, let me do an eating challenge of something that I like. You know? Like, I just, Taco Bell, to me, is just the bottom rung of fast food restaurants. I just think it's funny that you you, you will exalt Domino's in their cheesy bread Yet Taco Bell is a bridge too far. It's like very, Taco Bell and Little Caesars are trash, but Domino's. Well, it's because that's they amazing. taste like trash. It's not about like quality of restaurant. It's like cheesy bread tastes good. <laughs> Domino's. Have you ever had double decker taco? I mean, I've had tacos. Yeah, slaps before. in the right in the right circumstances. The, I also have no idea if that's still on the menu because I've not been to Taco Bell. Yeah, I don't the last even know time if it's I went to Taco menu. Bell was when they had the Doritos Locos tacos when they first came out. The potato ones are good because it's carb on carb. You know what I mean? But I had a, got into this massive fight with a, with my friends in a group chat, and I'm very curious. Have you ever been to Del Taco before? Yes. So I said that Del Taco is basically the same thing as Taco Bell. And uh-huh. both of them exploded on me. And like they were like yelling at me. Not two being on from one. California, I, I would not feel that way. If you said that to me, I'd be like, okay, sounds whatever. They're yeah, tacos. so like people tweeted me, email me, let me know. I'm very curious where people stand on this debate because they're like, Del Taco is incredibly different and 10 times better. And I feel like I wouldn't be able to distinguish the two if you wrapped them in, in label list label list rappers it'd be the same shit to me it's i i will that may be a, a an off-season podcast right there yes but we are in season and therefore we must talk football we can't we can't not talk we can't be off topic for too long Ari. that certain people don't like that so we, we got to make sure we <laughs> yeah we got to make sure we talk football we got to talk three techniques how, and cover two <laughs> how dare we talk about other things that other people who like college football are also interested in yes okay. i People who like college football also like to eat. That's that's the you thing. know what I found. All, all kidding aside, found? and you will of all the comments and stuff that we got on our road trip, people become more enthusiastic and more bought in to food than they do the football because everybody like I, eats. But like they are very much drawn to it. I don't feel like yeah. talking about food is some sort of. It's not like we're talking about you know trickle-down economics here. I mean, we're talking about the thing that everybody likes <laughs> we'll to do. We'll leave that so. to the folks at Fox Business who are eating $28 worth of Taco Bell. Yes. All but right. I saw, I saw one of the screenshots you asked, you uh, actually oh. put up there, and I really hope we get to that because I am fired Oh, we will. I, but first, okay. we got a question that came to my mailbag that I am fired up about. And you can okay, read, let's start with you. You can read my written answer to this in the Dear Andy column on The Athletic on Thursday. But 
the more I read it, the more fired up I get. So let's talk. It's it's from Gentry. Dear Andy, a few years ago, you said that Tennessee was a, quote, hard place to be successful. We had a back and forth on Twitter at the time. I pointed out then that Butch Jones, and his words, an incompetent moron, managed back-to-back nine-win seasons and multiple top five recruiting classes. You're now saying that Heupel is ahead of schedule. One might argue that he's right on schedule. Is Heupel a great coach? A good coach. Time will tell. He's clearly a competent coach, and it looks like that's all Tennessee needs to be a winner. Hard place to win? Maybe a really easy place to win. Has his early success caused you to reevaluate how hard or easy it is to be successful at Tennessee? It has caused me to reevaluate Josh Heupel, Gentry, because no, not just any old coach can come into Tennessee and do what Josh Heupel has done. Remember, players were pouring into the transfer portal after Jeremy Pruitt got fired. It was one of the most difficult situations in college football. And he's come in. Not only were they a winning team year one, now they are undefeated going into the Alabama game. They do look like they have a shot against Alabama. They do look like they can hang with Georgia. They look like they'll be favored against everybody else not named Alabama or Georgia on their schedule. Yeah, I'd say Josh Heupel's doing pretty damn good. Well, I think it's an interesting question because if you think that all of Tennessee's previous coaches were just downright incompetent, putting somebody in the position that is just competent, not great, competent, who is having this result. Now, if your evaluation of Josh Heupel— That's not the case. If you put someone—okay, I would argue that Butch Jones is more than competent. He was successful at Central Michigan. He was successful at Cincinnati. He was successful for a time at Tennessee, but he couldn't hold it together. It's a hard job. It's a hard job because of who you have to play and who you have to recruit against. You have to play Alabama every year. You have to play Georgia every year. You have to play Florida every year. You have to recruit against Tennessee, or sorry, against Clemson, all of those SEC schools. North Carolina is going to come in and try to steal guys. And also Ohio State, because you're going to try to go up Remember, you're only three hours and 45 minutes from Cincinnati. So you've got a lot of really good schools that you have to recruit against. And if you're not on, you're going to get buried. Yeah, I think that that is a very fair assessment of Tennessee. Now, the question I have then for you is, do you think Heupel is elite already? I think it's too soon to say that. But if you look at how well he took over at UCF and then what he's done at Tennessee, I would say that most of us, and especially me, underestimated him when he was hired as a head coach. I did not know that Josh Heupel would be a good head coach. I actually asked Danny White that question. Danny White's the athletic director of Tennessee. When I was up there in the spring, I said, how did you know he was going to be a good head coach? Because what we'd seen previously was he was the offensive coordinator for, for a long time at, at Oklahoma. He and Jay Norvell split those duties. And that offense actually stagnated. And they got fired. And then Lincoln Riley came in and did that job a lot better. And the thought was, okay, well... You're hiring that guy. But if you think about what happened in the meantime, because that assumes that there's no room for growth, that there's no room for for getting better or learning or anything like that. Josh Heupel clearly grew and learned in the time between getting fired at Oklahoma and becoming the head coach at UCF. You know, he went and and looked at a lot of different offenses, uh, took stuff from from the ones he liked, the Baylor offense, especially uh, the, the, the Bryles offense that they took pieces of that. He goes to Utah State. He goes to Missouri, where I think they were they were a pretty good offense at Missouri when he was there. And so it's that, but it's also the part that maybe Danny White got this in the interview. I don't know. But 
I think it's one of those things you really don't know until the person gets in the chair. How will they handle being the CEO of a program? How will they handle managing players? And the way Josh Heupel manages his players, like the, the Tennessee players just rave. Now, real, remember, they're coming off of Jeremy Pruitt. So there, there is a big difference. But what's fascinating to me about Josh Heupel is, you know, he's a, he's a, he was a national title winning quarterback, but he doesn't have at least outwardly, that swag that you expect from some guy who was the quarterback on a national championship team. He doesn't really try to overwhelm you with his personality. But it also he also clearly doesn't care what I think about him or what you think about him or what anybody but the people on his team think about him. And I think that's a, that's a strength. And I had a player tell me that previously... Everybody would just avoid the complex like the plague if they didn't have to be there because it was just a miserable place. Now, players have to be kicked out of there because they're just going to, to hang with their coaches. They just like them. And I, he's created an environment that people seem to really enjoy playing in. And you can say, oh, the NIL stuff, Nico, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, Tennessee's embracing that too. But we haven't seen whether or not that's going to work. Because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. yeah. We have seen Josh Heupel's offense work. We've seen... His management style seems to work very well there. And it is not the same management style as Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. And you can say, well, those two are extremely successful, so why don't why not just do what they do? But there have been coaches who've been successful with the style Josh Heupel is employing. One I would give the example I'd give is Pete Carroll, where USC players felt like USC was a fun place to play. Now their practices were intense as hell. Like the competition in practice was was crazy, but it was fun for them. So I just, I, I am so impressed with Josh Heupel and I un, I will be the first to admit I completely underestimated him because I remember when he got the UCF job, I was like, Josh Heupel, really? We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. I don't think it's, I think you can make this case right now that if you have a team or a program where the players don't voluntarily want to go to the building, then you're not going to win. Like, I think that that's, that's just a baseline thought process. Right. Um, but two, Hendon Hooker's really good, you know? Right. And, and that's the, that's the part I'm not sure they can take credit for because obviously Hendon Hooker transferred in to play for the Pruitt staff. Heupel staff recruited over him, picked a different quarterback to start in 2021 and Hooker just handled it like a grown-up and wound up getting the job anyway. Now, I will say that Heupel and, and Alice Golish, the OC, and, and Joey Housel, their, their quarterback's coach, do deserve credit for gaining the trust of Hendon Hooker because he could have left. He liked them, and that's why he stuck around. Which and, is also a sign of positive management. Yes, yeah. So I, I say And if they beat Alabama on Saturday? <laughs> well... I, 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 then it goes up even more. Uh, this one from BSE in the chat. He's good when he inherits talent, it seems. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. You mean Cedric <laughs> Tillman, who had six catches in three years under Jeremy Pruitt? I'd say Heupel figured out how to unlock him. I don't think Pruitt had any idea. The second I saw that come up, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> Did you see how many guys they lost to the portal? Good Lord. Wasn't it like, yeah, it was more than 10, wasn't it? It was... It was in it was in the high teens or the up to the yeah. might have been in the twenties. It was it was an insane amount. Mass exodus, if you will. But yes, I uh I think that the it's an interesting question though, because if Josh Heupel turns out to be a so so coach, 
because I think that the thought process was that Tennessee will ever only be relevant again if they go out and hit a home run higher with somebody. Mm -hmm. And this was not the case. You would agree with that, right? I I would agree because he he wasn't they they went over went after some other people. I don't think Danny White wanted to raid the school he just left because Danny White, you know, obviously hired Heupel at UCF. The idea was not to turn around and hire UCF's coach, but when they didn't get the 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 bigger name guys that that they were feeling out for, Heupel became the best choice for Danny White, which he would know he worked with him, and it seems to have worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it is just like if you would have asked me this two years ago or four years ago after the Shiano stuff happened, I would just feel like Tennessee is a black hole of ineptitude. Um, with passionate fans that don't have reasonable expectations See, for what the program should be. Their fans were right about the Shiano thing. Now, the way certain people went about it on that day was wrong. But Greg Shiano would have failed miserably at Tennessee because he has rabbit ears. He's worried about whether the temperature is 71.4 degrees in, in the building. Like, he would, he would be miserable. Butch Jones lost it because he was worried about what everybody thought. There are like 94 sports talk stations in Knoxville, and they're all talking about the Vols all the time. And then all, all the national people, they're all talking about the Vols because that's all people care about in that state. And it's it's a hard job in that way. You have to not give a crap about what anybody thinks. Now, Jeremy Pruitt didn't give well, a crap about... Well, would you think that their, their fans what? three years ago when that happened or however... How long? It's been four years now? It was 2017. Um, five years. Five ago. years. Jeez, man. Time's flying. Um had a rational expectation of what their program should be in that moment? No. <laughs> and I'll so never to me, accuse I think the Tennessee fans of being way. rational, but the best thing about Tennessee fans is they're irrational. Is irrational. But I would fi- if I were a head coach looking for a job, I would find irrational fans to be a turnoff. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like when but we guess- do our, our best job rankings, I always knock Tennessee down a few spots because of that. Guess where they're a turn on, though? When you need people to pay for NIL. Yeah, that's true. Like you know, I'm, I'm it's like I honestly haven't been as excited to watch a game in a long time, and I, I say that a lot. But this is really, really interesting to me because Alabama is a seven or a seven and a half point favorite. It's two scores, and if Alabama scored fifty five points, Bryce Young plays again, that would be the least surprising thing in the world. But I do think that if Tennessee won the game, I would not be surprised. So like, I am very excited to see. What ten, like this is the unveiling? What is Tennessee? Right. Who is Josh Heupel? Who is Hendon Hooker? Who is that defense? All the things that we talked about before the LSU game. This is it. There's no masks. There's no behind the curtains. This is like the coming out party. And you know what? I'm excited to you know. And if I were covering that game, I call him to be who is Tennessee? Yeah. Here's the thing. I would not be shocked if Bryce Young plays and Alabama just wins this game. I would be shocked Easily. if Alabama blows Tennessee out. I would be shocked at that. And I would because be the defense if, is still a concern, right? Oh, secondary. They, they gave up 400 passing yards to Anthony Richardson. Now, I went back and looked. Florida ran the ball 42 times in that game. You've got to keep running the ball. And, and Alabama can really run the ball with, with Jameer Gibbs and McClellan. So if you, if you are two dimensional, you, you have the edge against Tennessee's defense. Could you make the case that Alabama's receivers helps mask that that weakness? Alabama's receivers? The, Alabama's the receivers help mask Tennessee's weakness. 
Yes. Yes, I agree with that. Yes, I agree. If if it's last year's Alabama receivers, if it's Mechie oh boy. and, and yeah. Jamison Williams, forget it. We're not even talking about this. Yes. But but yes, so I think that's why I think even if Bryce Young plays, Tennessee's got a shot. Like it would not shock me if this game is close or even if Tennessee won. If Bryce Young doesn't play, and I I get the sense he's playing. Are you you and I were there with Nick Saban we last Thursday? Both got that sense. Yeah, last the way week. he yep. the way he pitched it going into the Texas A&M game was that Bryce Young's they just want to make sure he's ready for Tennessee. But if he doesn't play, I expect Tennessee to win. I don't think that if what we saw out of Milrow last week is who Milrow is right now, that they can beat Tennessee. Yeah. Now, as as BSE points out, Alabama's pass rush against Tennessee's O-line is is a key. Now, Alabama's pass rush lit up Texas A&M last week. Uh, Will Anderson was in Haynes King's lap pretty much every play. So if that happens, if if Hendon Hooker is getting bashed by Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, then then maybe we're not having this conversation. But Hendon Hooker also strikes me as the kind of quarterback, one, he's in an offense that gets the ball out pretty quick. Two, he's a big guy who can move. I like his chances against that pass rush a lot more than I like Haynes King's chances. Yep. Can't wait to talk about it on Saturday night with you, pal. This is going to be so much fun. And I'm sure for Tennessee fans, this is very cathartic because you guys haven't had games like this. And now you've had the Florida game like this and, and the Alabama game. Just the stakes keep going up I can't and up imagine and up. how loud it's going to be there. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be so cool. So I'm, I'm glad for that because this is when it gets really fun. So I, I can't wait to watch and see what the atmosphere looks like. I hope Bryce Young plays. I want to see the best players playing and just let's let's see what happens. We have a question from David. This is to your recruiting mailbag and you led with this one this week and it is uh it's fiery. Is it possible that Arch Manning underestimated how good Quinn Ewers is when he decided to commit to Texas? In my mind, the unknown at two other schools was less clear. Ari. Have at it. Have you He's going to ask you this. Have you seen my mentions the last 24 hours? Uh, like seen dumpster, me arguing with people? They're dumpster fire as usual. Uh, never like this. I mean, rarely like this. But what happened was some. So the headline was just the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and some 247 uh, Longhorn site guy. You got aggregated and it was not. No, I got aggregated retweeted accurately. with us. I got retweeted yeah. with a uh, sarcastic. Tell me you don't follow recruiting without telling me you follow. One of those, like, I want all the likes. I want the clout type things without reading it. So my entire mentions has just been Texas fans who have just been like, you're an idiot. You don't know anything. You're misleading people. When when they should be directing those at the person who asked you the question. Yeah, also, and I wrote the answer to literally what they would want to read. Um, And it just drives me insane, this temperament of people on Twitter who form opinions about our work without reading it. Like, I don't oh, understand. Ari, you got to get over that. I don't understand how you could possibly have an, it's like writing, writing a movie review about a movie you haven't watched. And people will do that too. It makes no sense. There are a lot of stupid people out there who it's do like, not consume the thing before they review it. And I just like want to slap all of them. I can't, like, I go, I lose my mind uh, at well, home. Like I'm at home. I want to scream into a pillow because the fact of the matter is, is that, listen, I am, in a national position. And when somebody asks me a question, let me ask you, let me ask you this question. Okay. 
when Quinn Ewers was awesome, mm-hmm. and people who are not familiar with Arch Manning, yes, and his recruitment, somebody might think to themselves. A lot of people might think to themselves, "Wow, Quinn looks awesome. I wonder what this means for Arch Manning." I- exactly. Just Without because knowing, you you follow your team religiously doesn't mean everybody else in the country does. And when we write a mailbag, we're writing it yeah. for everybody. Correct. So yes. even if certain Texas Longhorns fans know the answer, there are a hell of a lot of people out there that don't. So I took the question, did he underestimate them? And I wrote exactly what you would expect me to write, yeah. which is why on earth could you possibly think that the Manning family could underestimate any situation or get anything wrong? Right. And the it fact seems the, like the plan is the, the hope was that Arch would not have to be the starter right away. And if he doesn't start right yeah. away, Quinn will be in year three by next year. And he'll go if he pros. is as good yeah. as he looks in a year from now, then he'll go to the pros. Manning will be a redshirt freshman and he will start and then he will go to the pros. That is the plan. And I wrote that, but I went crazy because everybody was accusing me of writing the exact opposite because some 247 Longhorns guy wanted 300 likes on Twitter. Well, okay, here's a here's another question. In line with what you were just talking about where we're obviously everybody doesn't follow your team as thoroughly as you do. How many people who aren't Texas fans and who aren't Ohio State fans know that Quinn Ewers is 2 years out of high school right now? Um, I think that I would like to think that that's a pretty high number, but maybe it's not. There are there's a certain subsect of college football fans who pay zero attention to recruiting. Right. They want to watch the games. They do not care about how care. the sausage gets made. They know, hey, we've got this young kid who's supposed to be pretty good. But there are a lot of people who don't bog themselves down with the comings and goings of visits and early enrollments and all that stuff. And Quinn Ewers is an interesting case because he's probably got a higher conversion rate of people who know what he did because he was the number one player in his class. Well, so and, like when and that there was ha- all the NIL a, stuff. He was the first and, NIL person. Yeah. So people know. Um, but it just irritates me to no end. That that it's just a very simple concept. It is a mailbag. It says mailbag in the headline. Somebody asked this question. A lot of people also probably share that question because it's a hot topic. Um, you got the number former number one overall player in the class playing right now, and the number one overall player in the class with the last name Manning committed. This is a you know on the surface the general assumption, which is the word that I used from a fan who does not follow it very much, is that the five star Manning would want to play fast. So if he has the temperament to wait a year, which, by the way, isn't that common in college football these days, five-star quarterbacks want to play fast now, then people might be like, well, what the hell is going to happen there? And it's my job as a person who's answering questions for everybody, not just UT fans, is to inform them of what's actually going on. And I answered it in a factual, rational way. So for me to get an avalanche of crap on me for 24 hours over something that I didn't even do... It's just downright aggravating, and hey, I hey, got Ari, pulled down Ari, into the cesspool. Let me let me let me help you with this here, because it's going to make your. I'm going to give you some advice to make your life easier. Are they spelling your name right? I think so. Oh, that's here we good, go. Yeah, help me. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. They're talking about you. They're yeah, talking about. They're not talking about the Knowles. They're talking about the Ari. We'll be right back after these words. Here's the thing, too, Andy. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I have opinions that aren't always right. Okay. I'm wrong all the time. This is a podcast. We discuss things. Sometimes we discuss weights and measures in your Yes. Wrong. And 
Somebody actually tweeted it. Ari's wife went to AM. Like I like am like an enemy of the program. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's so funny to me. But I um am wrong enough on the show with my takes and my opinions about things where people can make fun of me when I'm wrong. And I'm okay with that because that's what this is. Um I just don't want to be yelled at for doing nothing wrong. And that's what irritates me. I get irritated when people critique my work when they Ari, haven't read it. All right. this is we have no level of fame at all compared to some of these people on ESPN. Like think about Joe Tessitore. When Joe Tessitore calls a game, there's a segment of fans who believe he is firmly in the camp of one team. When you and I both know he's not, but you cannot convince those people. That, so you got to understand no matter what you do from this point on as you're, you're cause you're on a rocket ship to start. I don't know if you realize that yet, but I you hope are so. you're on a rocket ship. No matter what you do, there will be people who will think you are wrong. And you're going to have to let that go. Yeah. I want them to think I'm wrong when they consume it. I don't want it to be. Nope. Doesn't matter. Yep. I know. I got, I've got some stuff to work on because as last long, night. As long as they know who you are, you're doing something right. And if you're right most of the time and, and, and admit when you're wrong, when you are, which you do, then I don't think you have a problem. Yeah. I, I, like last but, night, Britt had a. Uh, girls night so she went out and was hanging mm-hmm. out with the girls had a few drinks and i was like you know what i'm gonna sit back i'm gonna watch the baseball playoffs I'm just gonna enjoy my evening and instead i was in my bedroom on my computer arguing with faceless morons on twitter but all you had to do is close the computer i know and i can't like i need to work on that like yeah. wale the rapper yeah. had had a major problem with this because people would say your music sucks or you're an idiot For, and he would former, like resp- former running back by the way wale yes and I think that he's like had interviews and I've listened to them about not that I'm anywhere near as famous as him, but the ability as a person in this position to not take every piece of criticisms to heart. Mm-hmm. So well, and that is something I need to work on because I get really upset. Here's something you you will take to heart. And I I was blown away by this. So we we do the five star review questions where someone leaves a five star review on the podcast and asks us a question. This one, I kind of like, I got a little choked up. So this is from Nate Liberty 91 sent it at the end of September. It's been a while since we've done this segment. So I was going back through these. So this is when the hurricane was hitting or I right afterward. And I'm in Naples, Florida. So not sure if this will go through, but if it does, man, do I have a question for you after the hurricane we got. So this is, this is actually a day and a half after the hurricane. First, your podcast got me through Ian. I pre-downloaded a few of your old bangers and it gave me all the nostalgia. Ari singing Smash Mouth will live for generations. That's the, the, the Smash Mouth question is the best. Have you, have you read we should it? have asked Lane that one, man. We messed up. That's round two. And we're going to ask yeah. Lynch that one too. My question is, what games meant the most to a college football fan base in the moment? On a personal level, I'm a Huskers fan who just lived through this monster. I could really use a win this weekend from Big Red. But bigger picture, the Saints after Katrina, the Yankees after 9-11, and that first weekend of, of CFB of the COVID season were big release for huge chunks of people. I'm sure for Vols fans, last week's win over the Gators was big in a different way. Note, stop comparing Nebraska and Tennessee to each other. The Vols wish they had Big Red's tradition in national championships. What games stand out for a fan base as cathartic? First of all, Nate, thank you so much for, for this, this question and the review. Uh, I am so glad that we could be there for you during that time and that Ari could be singing smash mouth in your ears. And I hope you could hear other songs and it wasn't just all star. <laughs> hey, but now 
I, I just it 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 makes me very happy to know that there are folks out there who we can help them get through a tough day because that's that's really what we want to do here. We're not we're not saving the world with this podcast. Like we're talking about twenty eight dollars with Taco Bell in yeah. college football. That's it. Yep. So if we can if we can help you through a time like that, then f- thank you. Thank that was you a really nice here. thing. You saved me, Eddie. I needed that. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, now, I'd rather have one of the. I'd take one of those for a hundred dumb Twitter messages. So that's exactly. That was nice. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I'm just glad that uh, <laughs> now it, Sad Husker Nano says they should be a, a Hurricane fan by now, but I don't know. I you know I, I feel like Nebraska's coming around, and and Nebraska did give him the win that Saturday. That's when they beat Indiana. They're so, going for their first three-game winning streak since 2016. Right, and they've won a one-score game because they did that at Rutgers. So good job, Mickey Joseph. Uh, it, it it's happening. But as far as these games go, it's it's hard when there's because you he mentioned the the Yankees after 9/11, um, the Saints after Katrina. It's hard when you you have these disasters because sports feel small in the middle of these things. One one game that I think about. That is sort of on in that vein, and I know he doesn't want me to compare Nebraska and Tennessee, but the one I think about is the 2001 Tennessee-Florida game, which was scheduled to be played. So 9-11 was on a Tuesday. Tennessee-Florida was supposed to be that Saturday. They ended up postponing it till December, and it wound up being the last game of the regular season in the SEC, and it was with the East on the line, and Florida was heavily favored. Tennessee goes in and wins. I feel like Tennessee fans remember that one special and that was especially cathartic I, I i know i was at the 98 florida tennessee game when when they finally got through they, they had beaten spurrier once but it wasn't really the same thing this was the first time they'd beaten spurrier after he'd really gotten it rolling in 98 the stadium shook when collins cooper missed the field goal and tennessee won but i i think that 2001 one might have even been more satisfying even though the 98 team did go on to the national title and the 2001 team lost the SEC title game the next week. But yeah. I, I'm i trying to think of some other ones. But Well, it's hard to compare to 9 Like when you start talking uh, about like off the field versus on again, the field. Sports is so small compared to that. So, but like I can understand the emotional pool of the Yankees um, um, after that or, you know, Hurricane Katrina and the Saints. But like when you think about just college football cathartic games, I can't imagine how cathartic it was for Texas on Saturday. I would agree. I what would about agree. Michigan not, and Ohio not, State last year? Yeah, not not because of anything going on outside, but just the just the sports of winning of it the way yeah. they did. Yeah, and and it's like, and I think that Ohio State Michigan game last year is very similar, where you have a team that is your rival who has, you know, for the most part, beaten the crap out of you, and you don't just win the game; you go in there and manhandle them in every aspect yeah. of the game. Agreed. That to me is like four quarters of, and I remember you know very vividly you know, some of those games. And like this Saturday, I was in Buffalo Wild Wings and I was with you thinking, man, Texas has waited a long time to feel like this. And, yeah. you know, because it's not just wins. It's just we're in a better place than you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it just, it was a, it wasn't a win. It was a beat down. It was a just unloading of years of frustration, even though a lot of those Texas players did not experience those years of frustration. The fans experienced them. And they also, they also know, you know, yeah, they might not have lived for it, but like a Michigan recruit has seen oh, has enough people say that, hey, yeah. you're 0-4 against Ohio State in your tenure. Mm-hmm. You're going to go there when they never win, and then they go out there and beat them physically. 
Yeah. That's a huge thing. Oh, I I am <laughs> Mitch Durso in the chat. I'm a Michigan fan here. The game is still on my DVR and I rewatch it whenever I'm having a bad day. <laughs> that's amazing. And, and Good for you, so man. Mitch, that that's your game. That that is your catharsis game. And Ari, that's a that is a great pull because you're right. I, that one may be the most cathartic of any game in the last 20 years. Because it was an ass kicking. Like it was yes. like a physical beatdown. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was unbelievable. All right. We've answered questions from the readers and the listeners. Now it's time to hear a coach answer a question from one of our regular contributors, Scott Doctorman, who covers Iowa for us at The Athletic. Uh, Brian Ferentz talked on Wednesday, and Scott did not mince words with this question. Here we go. You know, Brian, when you look at the Big Ten, um, things have changed quite a bit where you've, you have, you've seen two assistant coaches fired this week, you've seen two head coaches fired, including one that was quite a shocker, at least to me. Have you had any concern about your position and based on the, the success or lack thereof of the offense, and have you considered stepping down because of that lack of success? Uh, okay, so I'll start number one with the last part of the question. In my opinion, doesn't make it right. There's two options in life in any situation, right? You can surrender, okay? And if you surrender, then I think the results are pretty much guaranteed. Or you can dig in, you can continue to fight, and you can try to improve and do things better. I will always choose option A. Done in my personal life, done in my professional life. Uh, I wouldn't be able to go home and look my children in the eye if I wasn't an option uh, B person. I think I said option A. I started with option surrender, right? That's not me. All right. Let me be crystal clear about that, right? So um, that's number one. Number two, to, to the other question, you know, look, in this business, we, we all signed up for this. Okay. This is a results driven business. It has been since the minute I entered it. None of this is a new phenomenon. Things that go on outside of this program uh, never surprise nor shock me, ever. Because this is the world we live in. This is the life we chose. You have to get results. Otherwise, they will move on to people who will. So I think it's a nice direct question from Scott. I, we're not in Japan. Like, that's... The person doing the failing isn't the one who's supposed to quit in America. It's the person's boss who's doing the failing is supposed to recognize that and take care of it. And I think mm -hmm. that's sort of the disconnect here with Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz. But is, I do like the long thing at the end where he's like, this is a results-oriented business. If you don't meet the results, you're fired. And it's like, no, you're not being fired. Like, that's yeah, the that's heart the of problem. the issue. That's why everybody's yeah. mad. And, and if you listen... So the next question is about the quarterback situation, and somebody brings out the backup quarterback and said, what's the downside of giving him a try? And Brian Ferentz's response is, what's the upside? Then there's another quarterback question, and Brian Ferentz goes into how complicated their passing game is. And I just want to, the whole time I'm sitting there, like, screaming at my computer, like, that's if the passing the game is complicated, <laughs> make it easier. Like, yeah. that's your job. Yeah. Also, what's the upside? Spencer Petras is last in every single major, uh, well, ma major passing. I hate to too. say that, Ari, but I think that is him trying to be nice without saying anything. No, I know. Completely but like, derogatory about one of his players. It's a funny so. thing to say when you literally can't get worse. Well, what he's saying is he doesn't think putting in Alex Padilla, the backup, would be any better. It's, yeah. And yeah. 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 But it's just so that's the problem. But it just it, it frustrates. We, we talk about this 
particular subject a lot on this show because it frustrates me. When you have people making this amount of money to do this kind of job, and they're doing it this poorly, and then you have people in the same organization doing an elite job, and the person in charge cannot recognize that one person, Phil Parker, is doing an elite job, and one person, Brian Ferentz, is doing a terrible job, and correct the situation, I can't even imagine... I don't care if Iowa wins or loses. I can't even imagine how frustrating it is to be an Iowa fan. Yeah, it's like if the whole team stunk, it would just be so much easier, wouldn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> like how does Phil Parker not just scream at somebody every day or punch somebody in the face? Like, how Why am you... I doing this? Yes, yeah. he does his job every day. His defense is great every time. And this guy keeps failing over and over and over again and keeps drawing a paycheck. And he could still fail, and they would still win games. It's the amount he's failing, too. Yeah. It's like, if you do, like, grades, a 59 is an F, right? Yes. And a a 30 is an F. Yes. And a 10 is an F. Yes. I think that if they got an F in offense, but it was a 58, they still might be undefeated right now. True. They win the Illinois game. Their offense is like a 5. Yeah. Out of 100. It's terrible. It yeah. is awful. And how the, the other thing is, how is this defense that good? We've I've, seen I've, this I've said it a hundred times. The, yeah. the amount in which they force turnovers and score. They almost won the game. They were like a centimeter away from winning the game on a scoop and score. If Arthur Sitkowski's elbow isn't down, they if he holds his arm up a little more as he's laying on the top of the guy sacking him and the ball comes out and the ball gets stripped... Iowa wins on a defensive touchdown. It, yes. it would have been remarkable. I mean, it, I, honestly, I, I, I'm I just sorry. Been, I don't I, know how they do it. I just don't. I'm know how sorry they do we it. keep bringing this up. It just makes me so mad. I will give Brian Ferentz credit for one thing, though. Hmm. He got up there and took questions. He did, and and I do, I, I do think he deserves a lot of credit for that because that that's really hard. And he because knows he knew he's going into up. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's no hey. And like I watched the majority of that, and I don't know, but there weren't any layup questions really of like, no, you know how how are you doing through all this or you know what? Everybody was like, what the hell's going on here? But the questions about a change at that position, not a quarterback, that is Brian Ferentz's bailiwick, but a change at offensive court, those are Kirk Ferentz questions. Yes, and he's he's gotten them too. To our you know Scott Scott Dockerman has asked the same thing of Kirk Ferentz, but. He's just not doing anything about it, and yeah. he doesn't have to because they can't fire him because they would owe him a billion dollars if they if they fired him. So, and he's honestly continually gotten raises despite the fact that he's never really had been a threat to leave. Yeah, and I know that's the way it works in college football, but he's making a ton of money. And like in our business, you don't really get raises unless you have an opportunity to to go somewhere right. else, and you get bigger raises in college football if you're a hot candidate. It's like this guy's continually stacked his cheddar without ever really being a threat to leave the state. Oh, it's it's one of the great. I, it's not a scam because he's been good, but it's a it's a great example of people who aren't good at managing money bidding against themselves. It's also too like, and a lot of coaches that are long tenured kind of run into this because it's like how Iowa's probably been much better football program than it otherwise would have been as a result of his presence. But how do you 
manage when it's time to move on is a hard thing for, for these situations. Yeah. And, and look, if I would have a hard time firing my own son, I, I have, yeah. I understand where Kirk, Bobby Bowden had to do it. He had to do it with Jeff Bowden, who was his offensive coordinator. Um, who am I? Uh, the, uh, the Virginia coach had to do it. Why am I blanking on his name? But he, his, his son was the OC, got fired, became the first Alabama analyst, actually. So who is it? Uh, now I can't. I am blanking on the name, and I'm sure in the chat somebody's helping me out. Hopefully, no, no one's helping me out. It's not George Welch. It's the one who was after George Welch, and the one that was before Mike London. And I don't know why I can't think of his name. It is driving me insane. This is terrible pod. But here we go. I'm looking it up. I'm looking, looking it up. Was it is it Bronco Mendenhall? No, Al Grow. Al Grow. It's Al Grow. Mike yeah. Grow is Mike Grow was the son he fired. I didn't. And then Mike yeah. Grow was the first. And Mike Grow has actually turned into a, a a very good coach, and he's in the NFL now. Uh, but he was he took a GA job at Alabama. He essentially was was the patient zero for the Nick Saban yeah witness relocation program. Yeah, Bob but, Stoops fired Mike Stoops, right? That's his brother. Yeah, he uh, no no Lincoln Riley fired Mike Stoops. Mike oh. Stoops got the Arizona head coaching job and left Bob Stoops. Oh, yeah, that was Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Yeah, the the question at Oklahoma, the one that looms over Lincoln Riley's first year as head coach at Oklahoma, which remember the 2017 fantastic team lost in the Rose Bowl to Georgia. If they'd had a halfway passable defense, they win the national championship. Right. Was, was the timing of the handoff so that Lincoln couldn't fire Mike and had oh, to keep him. okay, yeah. And he didn't fire Mike after that season either. He wound up firing after the Texas game the following year. So, yeah, it, it's it's got to be hard. My I, long way of making the point of I don't know if I could fire my own son. I'd probably rather quit myself, right, before I did that. Yep. So, I don't know. It's it, it, in Iowa's a job that I think people would want if Kirk decided, hey, I don't want to deal with you people yelling at me about my son anymore. Could you imagine Iowa, Wisconsin, and Nebraska all being open at the same time? It's like three Spider-Men pointing at one another. Yeah, I don't know. That could be very entertaining to watch that play out, but I don't think that's going to be happening. Yeah, I I was wondering when all this stuff was going on earlier if that would be the case, but it seemed like there was a lot of support for Kirk Ferentz there, and I would argue that Outside of Brian Ferentz in the offense, Kirk Ferentz is doing a good job as the CEO of the Iowa football program. Yeah. So well, you know he's just got to decide with if any, he actually wants to be good on offense. With and, any fan base, though, Andy, if there's been a legendary head coach, that there will be a certain segment of that fan base that is loyal to that coach to a fault and will back him no matter what happens. And I think that there's a segment of Iowa's fan base that probably feels that way about Ferentz. Oh, I don't, but I don't think, Kirk needs to go like the only reason why he has to go is because he can't make this decision. Yeah. If you can't make the decision, then you have to go. Yeah. Well, but they're not going to fire him. Like is Brian, it's not Jimbo Fisher buyout money, but it's a lot of money. Is Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator at Iowa next season? No, he's not. Kirk, but Kirk is not one of those guys who's going to do it in season, but I just don't know. Like, I don't know how much worse it gets before somebody steps yeah. in and, and, and has an inter- Remember, 
because of the anti-nepotism rule that they have at Iowa, Brian actually reports to the athletic director, Gary Barter. Now, Kirk's got more juice than Gary. But if Gary were to step up and, and, and just fire Brian Ferentz behind Kirk's back, you think, you think Kirk can really do anything about that right now in this situation? Yeah, probably not. So we'll, we'll find out what, what happens, but it's just, it's agonizingly frustrating to watch this play out. And their next as, game's at Ohio State. Yeah, it's going to be ugly. It's, it's going to be ugly. It's, it's, but it's so frustrating to watch this, game, this all play out, and I'm not even a fan of the team. Like, yeah, no, you feel The fans me. of the team must be beside themselves. Is this a famous quote? The saddest story in life is wasted potential. That's exactly right. And you have elite defense led by Phil Parker, elite special teams led, led by LeVar Woods. Elite, not good, not above average, elite. And you have a terrible offense that makes you a very average football team. That's right. And it's, it's not easily fixed right now, but you could start fixing it now. Instead, you, you just bang your head against the same brick wall over and over again and wonder why people keep yelling at you. Yep. <sighs> Including us. I didn't, I didn't mean to get that fired up. Yeah, we, go we have took 20- turns getting fired up on the show, huh? That's exactly right. I'm, I'm going to go have $28 with Taco Bell to calm down. Yeah. No, we, we do need to decide if that's going to be the stakes of a bet or the Babe Ruth diet. Maybe we take the whiskey out of the Babe Ruth diet because I do feel like that's just dangerous. Everything else is doable. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't. I'd probably get sick. I, I think anybody would get well over the course. of Yeah, you would. You would get. Well, sick. if you have to. Well, the way that the thing is described is that it's his breakfast. So if you have to finish it at breakfast. Yeah, I no the the whiskey thing. I, again, like I said, it's dangerous. I think we take yeah. that part out. So we work with the other stuff. And but I think the twenty eight dollars with the Taco Bell, at least visually. We could that may be consumed over the course of a podcast. The Babe Ruth diet has to be over the course of a day. So you're talking time lapse. You're talking you have to have a, a video shoot set up for an entire day. There's a lot of cooking involved. So it may be we go $28 with a Taco Bell. We just have to figure out the right game for it. Yep. But we need to be inspired. We need to be truly inspired by a game. Yeah, we, we've kind of been on the same side on a lot of these things this year. That's because great minds think alike, Art. Yeah. Well, we're not going to force an argument. When it comes, it'll come. Exactly. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure. Sorry we spent 11 minutes talking about $28 with the Taco Bell and, and Babe Ruth and his <coughs> diet. But We should have done 28 minutes of it. You're, that's what I was apologizing for. It wasn't long <laughs> enough. Yeah. Because we know why you're with us, and we love you, and we thank you for being with us. We'll talk to you later.